0: Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Shaylyn Otakor of Northern Trust. Over its 127 years in business, Northern Trust has been a figure of stability for its clients. The company's assets actually grew during the Great Depression. During the financial crisis of the late 2000s, Northern Trust was one of two companies to not lower its dividend. This doesn't mean, however, that it's not an innovative company. In fact, Northern Trust was one of the first to introduce fully automated financials. This year, it was also named the best private bank for use of technology in North America by the Financial Times Group. Shailen began her career with Northern Trust in 1996 as a high school intern. 22 years later, she's now a senior vice president and global business strategy specialist. Thanks for being here, Shailen. Can you give listeners some insight into your career journey, uh, specifically with banking and in how you got from where you started to um, where you are today?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Adam, for having me here today and Haley for inviting me. I'm really enjoying um, the time here at 1871. It's a nice break from the corporate uh, Scene at Northern, <laughs> within the, um, the LaSalle Street Center. Um, so I would say, so Northern Trust, like you said, I've been there since 1996. Uh, I started as a high school intern when I was five. Uh, <laughs> um, when I started at Northern Trust, I was um, obviously just starting on the administrative assistant um, kind of field, but I've always worked under our Global Fund Services umbrella. So I've been an accounting analyst and a senior portfolio accounting analyst, um, striking NAVs for 401k, daily portfolios um, and other investment portfolios for our clients. I then moved into a team leader position around the time that we acquired Bearings Asset Management in London. Back in 2005, I believe it was, into of 2004. Um, so I was selected to relocate to London in 2005 to help with the acquisition. So I went over as a corporate trainer, um, training the new employees that we acquired at Bearings Asset Management um, on our accounting platforms, our technology applications, um, also helping to migrate the new accounts over to our platform. So I worked out of London for about a year and a half um, pre-economic crisis. I enjoyed the time over there. It was a great culture so on my return back from London, I um, worked within our hedge fund accounting um, department. And a, lot, a big part of my role at the time was bridging the gap between technology and our business side, um, financial services, our accounting portfolio analysts, um, helping to automate tools manually using Excel macros. Um, I have a minor in comp- computer science from DePaul University, uh, majored in international project management. So I've always been interested in the kind of the multicultural um, components of a global business. So with my monitoring computer science, I learned how to program in Java. And right away, since I was going to school part-time and working at Northern Trust full-time, I wanted to apply it right away the next day. Right. So I came to work, and I learned how to um, hardcore, hard-code Excel macros with Java. And that was just the cutting edge thing at the time. (laughs) Yeah. So I was able to um, help automate a lot of manual process. So I became known as the macro girl. (laughs) And I would just build macro after macro after macro um, to do anything from calculating foreign exchange um, trades to reconciling cash balances, um, et cetera. So after that, um, obviously, I hit the wall with building macros (laughs) and wanted to expand my career outside of just operations and tech. Technology, So I transitioned over to our client servicing um, side of the business within our corporate and institutional business segment, and I um, started working on, um, for nonprofit clients and public fund client segments. Um, I was still the program manager at the time, so I've always been under the kind of project management, program management banner. And I did, once again, a variety of different um, initiatives and projects related to kind of automating manual processes or streamlining business development, things of that nature. So I worked on the client segment side um, in the public funds segment for a couple of years before my um, senior head at the time was selected by our CEO to launch our Corporate Social Responsibility Program, um, So he chose her, Connie Lindsay, um, who's head of our corporate social responsibility practice right now. And she asked me, hey, I need a project manager. What do you think about this? Um, so at the time, it was post-economic crisis where banks were rated lower than oil companies. <laughs> and we all sat around and said, okay, what does this look like? Um, everyone's doing this corporate citizenship. What is this supposed to look like? So we had to define the E and the S and the G and what that meant for us and um, how we wanted to... Uh, um, help the external um, industry and community understand where Northern Trust sat within these components. And corporate social responsibility is interesting. I kind of consider it kind of more of smart marketing. So it's telling the industry what we do besides make money. How do we treat our employees? How do we treat our clients? What do we stand for? And then also being able to back that up with audited information. So it wasn't just putting it out there, hey, we train our employees, but making sure that we had a Deloitte and two could come behind us and give their um, confirmation of the information we distributed. So through that, um, I worked in our corporate social responsibility segment for about three years, published a couple annual reports. Uh, I finished my bachelor's at DePaul. I finished my MBA at the University of Chicago booth. And then I said, hey, I want to go back to London. I had so much fun the first time. (laughs) And I wanted to go back to London. Um, So through some internal networking, I um, obtained another program management role in our fund servicing product development segment and relocated back to London at the end of 2012, where I worked for another three years. Um, and at the time I moved over, all the uh, post-economic crisis regulations were rolling out. So everyone was issuing the Dodd-Franks and the ai and all the different regulations that the banks had to adhere to. So in um, moving back to London, I actually took on a role um, implementing some of that regulation across our business segments there. Um, so that was a little painful, a little traumatic. <laughs> but after we, um, overcame that, had great successful implementations, I will say that. Um, I, I continued to work in our transfer agency segment, um, doing IT upgrades, infrastructure upgrades, software applications, things of that nature, client onboardings, and a whole slew of different projects and programs. I then returned back from, um, London at the end of, I want to say twenty fifteen and then assumed a role as a relationship manager in our global fund services segment, so working with hedge fund managers fund managers um, on um, their products and services for their investors so within our fund services segment we sell pro- sell operations and technologies that help fund managers run their core business so working with those clients, um, a book of clients uh, based out of New York and Canada. Um, And I did that role for about probably two years. Um, And on the side, I have always been actively engaged in kind of diversity and inclusion initiatives within our company at um, Chicago Booth as well. And um, I was tapped for this role that I'm currently in, Um, been in this role for about a year now. So I am a uh, global business strategy specialist um, focused on leading our workforce strategy. So, I sit within our corporate and institutional business segment, um, which is one of four business units at Northern Trust. so we have a wealth business unit, institutional asset management, and then we have kind of our operations and technology. So our corporate and institutional is about half the company so ninety six hundred employees spread across probably about twenty countries um, and my role composes of diversity and inclusion, so the diversification of the workforce. Employee engagement, how we're retaining employees, engaging them. You know, I call it the fun category. (laughs) Uh, Talent management, so recruiting, sourcing, developing. I also focus on location strategy, so where our partners, we call them partners because Northern Trust focuses on our employees first and then hoping, you know, of course, the employees focus on our clients, which is the top of the house. Um, so um, work is focus on location strategy, which um, denotes where we 're placing partners around the globe. Um, we want a twenty four seven operating model, and then the last component of course, is digital technology and how partners are are interacting with one another and with our clients. So how are we coming into the future and developing a workplace of the future so that we have um, the top process in, in optimization productivity tools, how we're seeing, we're talking to one another, et cetera. So I've been in this role for about a year now.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it's such a fun role. Like as it you're is. Through the different <laughs> kind of tasks that you go through, like, it, it sounds like you cover a, a lot of uh, bases, but also it's high, highly impactful. I mean, it's you have, I'm sure, a lot of responsibilities and are um, part of that executive leadership team that's kind of ushering that new era. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you, you have been with Northern Trust for almost 23 years, mm-hmm. what drew you to the banking industry in the first place? Was there something specific? Mm-hmm. Um, were you influenced in a specific way out of out of school?
1: You know, it's funny. So first I'll tap on the impactful. Um, when um, I was discussing this role with the president of our business unit, Pete Cherowich, and he just became president of our um, institutional segment about a year ago, When I, around the time I uh, took this role. Where I would say a year before I took this role, and um, you know that was the one thing he sold me on. He said, "You can have a lot of impact at the company," (laughs) and I thought, "Okay, well, there's there's a word you don't hear often, uh, especially in a large corporation." Um, But what I think attracted me to Northern Trust, um, I will be candid. uh, I was a high school intern, so I was always involved in more kind of computer technology, business admin. I got an internship at Northern Trust, and you know, in the beginning, I always told people I have a really successful. Career in industry, I'm not sure if I want to stand. <laughs> it's like financial services was never um, my top career pick. Um, if you could believe it or not, I wanted to be a doctor. Until I saw blood and almost fainted, and then I realized that wasn't the route for me. Um, and that's kind of how I got into more of the computer science and the technology. Because at the company, you know, when you're in finance, a lot of people don't understand there's so many different career options and paths you can take. It is not just Martin Gecko on Wall Street who's doing trading or, you know, just financial advisors. There's a lot of different varieties of positions and roles. And what I saw um, starting out was that there was definitely a need of individuals who could speak um, tech language and business language. Right. Yeah. You know, you have your business leaders who know their accounting portfolios, their subject matter, their domain experts, but they're not tech savvy. And then you have your tech savvy, your IT leaders who know the architecture, the infrastructure, the programming, but they don't understand the impact of the business. That's right. Exactly. Um, so starting out, I wanted to find a niche role that would keep me valuable. That would have um, that I would be able to own the space and always um, kind of be able to excel in my career and have something that was flexible, too. So that's kind of how I um, morphed into the hybrid kind of finance technology, got my monitoring computer science, and then rolled into the project management space. I've stayed at Northern Trust all these years um, because I really like the work-life balance. I like to focus on our employees. We are not the type of company that, um, you know, expects the 80-hour work weeks. Um, we don't expect you to put the company first. We want you to put yourself first and your family first. And so one of our taglines is, you know, focus on what matters. <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of different benefits and um all the senior managers, they have open-door policies. And after some years, you, you build relationships. You know, So right now when I go to work, I don't feel that I'm just working for my president, the business unit, or the executive managers. You know, They're much more laid-back, casual, open-door friendly. They're open to your ideas. Um, and it's not easy to start over um, from scratch in a company and build this all over again once you have those relationships established. So that's the one thing that I think has kept me at Northern Trust even after I graduated from both,
0: And it's interesting because as you're saying that, I think some of the listeners are probably saying, well, especially maybe the younger listeners, isn't that pretty typical of most companies? And the reality is it isn't. It isn't. Especially no. for a 127-year-old company, right? There's a lot of, Absolutely. Kind of historical kind of processes and standard operating procedures and even everything mm-hmm. from the procedural things to the way the office is set up maybe not be a, as as conforming to collaboration and open-door policies, et cetera. So. No,
1: it's an, and it's amazing. Even our CEO, um, Rick, who just um, retired, and Mike, um, I think at a certain point in time we had to tell them to stop meeting with so many employees. Because their door is always open. They're always willing to meet with you. And after a while, I think we had to say, okay, you you can't meet with everyone. (laughs) Um, But no, it is great to have that direct line to senior management, especially now with the changing um, demographics and the generational influences, to be able to come in and say, hey, I have this idea. Can I pitch it to you? And to have them say, yeah, set up time and let me hear your ideas and go talk to this person. Um, It goes a long way.
0: So one of the, the responsibilities you have is around digital technology and, and mm-hmm. emerging technology specifically. So talk to me about how Northern Trust thinks about kind of, emerging technologies and everything from internal kind of processes and how technology is being used, maybe some examples of how you've used it creatively uh, and ways that you've used it to kind of enhance customer experience.
1: Yeah, I would say from our development perspective, we always look at the customer experience, the human element of it, the human design. Um, So we partner with clients um, on developing technology. It's not a case of we developed it in-house and we push it out. Um, It's a lot of research. It's a lot of input. Um, Our clients are like our our employees. There's a partnership across the board. So um, that's kind of our focus there. We have obviously external collaborations. You know, IBM is a prime example where we partner with them to implement blockchain technology in our private equity sector, for example, to help with some of the um, onboarding and other documentation aspects of kind of launching um, the private equity funds. Um, And I won't go into too much detail there, but there's a lot of material on it um, that we could share later on on our website around it. But we like to partner externally with the different software technology firms. We just started um, partnering with BEX on a... um, foreign exchange, um, Paralux on some software implementations for our front office solutions. So for us, it's more of a collaborative perspective. Um, we're implementing more agile teams. So the blockchain technology with IBM, I think they developed that in within six months. I love it. I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: And one of the things that I just want the listeners to understand, because you said two very important things partnering with clients mm-hmm. and that was actually the first time we've I think, recorded the podcast we have at least you know over over a dozen episodes and I think it was the first time that I've heard someone say initially that the fir- first focus was partnering with clients to deliver something meaning you're not just developing something in house and pushing mm-hmm. it out and expecting people to just love it it's a matter of kind of collaboration. So can we double click into that a little bit and talk about that process and why, why that's beneficial, maybe some of the benefits that you've seen clients experience as a direct result of that partnership?
1: Um, Right. So uh, it's a bit difficult because we're a big company. Um, So when we talk clients, there's so many different client segments, right? Um, So when you talk about the award we received, that was in our wealth management segment, and they implemented a uh, new platform. It was a goals-powered solution platform, (laughs) and I had to get the name right. It's not my segment, so um, I can't go into too much detail there. But it was basically bringing – you want to bring more um, cloud-enabled kind of mobile – Technology to your customers at this point in time, um, it's expected. Our clients are not shy, and um, we're always open to hear. So we have in-person brainstorming sessions, not just you know push out a survey, get feedback, and go. You know, we do the in-person brainstorming sessions. We sit down and talk about what's the new trends in the industry. What would they like to see? Our clients meet amongst themselves, you know, without us, and they come back and say, "Hey, this is what we would like to see." And we're always looking to um, adapt. To what they would like to see And what their pain points are um, So that's kind of our approach um, You know it's never An aspect of what can and can't be done <laughs> It's what needs to be done um, So that would be one um, So that's where the, the Award came in on the wealth management side on the institutional side, um, we're also pushing out new technology to make it, um, I guess you could say, more global and mobile, is what I like to call it. Um, so, once again, more cloud based, more mobile device access, uh, more on the go access. You know, people are well past the whole um, paper statements in the mail or even just calling it 1 800 number. Um, they want to be able to access their accounts, their information, their portfolio performance, whatever the case may be, on the fly um, from any device at any time time
0: so one of the things around technology especially related to the 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 partnership because you also mentioned external partnerships and some Mm -hmm. of the companies that are even helping implement some of these uh, internal tools that you're using Um, one of the things I know the listeners have have often give us given us feedback on was specifically related to you know how do how does a large organization go about thinking through external partnerships? Sometimes large companies have a difficult time with that because mm-hmm. everything's built internally, not just from a, a standpoint of, um, I guess, I want to say um, uh, not necessarily compliance and privacy, but more on the side of we want to make sure that everything's built in-house so that you know we're controlling everything. Talk to me a little bit about the, the partnership piece and, and why you feel that's important from from an external partner perspective.
1: Absolutely. Um so yeah, there's a lot built in house. Um you know, buy it or buy it or build it is the way um that's been held. Um the external partnerships are good because when you're a large corporation like you said that's been in the business 127 years, um regardless of the company or firm, you can stand to get a little outdated or um set in your ways. Um so the external partnerships bring in that Breath of fresh air, so to speak Um, New innovation, new technology Things we haven't been thinking about What are the new hot trends in the industry Um, You want to start off small Do little pilot sessions um, Find one business case, one business solution, bring together a small agile team and work through it. You know, that was the blockchain kind of rollout. Um, Small group of individuals tackling that um, technology in one component of the business through an agile cycle. Six months later, here we are with the solution and we have a way forward to expanding that and making it scalable. Um, So that's kind of the mentality thought process there. Um, There are a lot of (laughs) external vendors um, who are looking to partner. Um, There's a lot to um, weed through. So there's definitely a very intricate vetting system um, that goes through um, the process of multiple (laughs) committees and... (laughs) Other business case reviews yeah so it's it, I would say it's not easy um, I would say um, to get to the conclusion of who who we're partnering with um But it's always making sure that they're bringing a component to our business um, that is scalable and something our customers have been asking for. Um, How do we get this to market as quickly as possible, and how are they able to plug into our ecosystem, our technology, and how is that relationship going to help benefit us as quickly as possible?
0: Fantastic. One of the things I know, especially on the partnership side, it's hard for larger companies and larger organizations to acknowledge that they they need help with certain things especially that that's not their internal expertise yeah uh, in some cases because you get so large of a point why can't we just build it in-house but Mm -hmm. there's actually some practical reasons why it makes sense to potentially outsource some stuff um, in addition to forming more of a stronger partnership with some of some vendors Um,
1: yeah absolutely i think a lot of the developments just work much better when you integrate teams when you have a few of their guys working with a few of our guys, be it at their house or their, our house, you know, IBM has a good, um, center right down the street from our headquarters, um, here in Chicago. Uh, we were over there not too long ago, um, talking to them about a, uh, different application kind of build out. And it was funny, as we're talking to them about one thing, there's a team of 50 of our people in the next room working on a different program. <laughs> wow. So they're in there, you know, whiteboarding and brainstorming with one another. But it does. It just brings, um, it brings the innovation in-house to a corporation who, um, to any large company that um, has walls that are hard to penetrate um, with a different type of um, talent that you may not be able to um, easily find on the streets.
0: So I want to talk a a little bit about, shift gears and talk a little bit about emerging tech. I know you Mm -hmm. had a minor in CS and, and you mentioned a little bit earlier about blockchain. I'm curious what you think are going to be some of the most impactful Technologies that, that are going to affect your industry.
1: Yeah. Um, so I know, yeah, I hear the blockchain a discussion. I think everyone at our company probably has a different perspective on this or how impactful it will be or how quickly. Um, my personal um, opinion of it is that it is a very helpful technology um, that does have some benefits, but the widespread kind of implementation – Um, will take some time. I think this just probably just comes from my IT project manager hat and knowing how long it takes to simply upgrade a basic software system. You know, 12 months, couple million dollars for something that's existing. Um, When you're talking about upending a massive legacy system, you're talking parallels, risk management. It's a large scope of work. Um, So finding places where blockchain technology can be implemented quickly, Easily new spaces um, is kind of the key there. Um, The more larger scale that people sometimes talk about, I think it is um, still some time away. Um, Besides blockchain technology, I think um, when you look at the banking industry or even um, in our segment, you know, it's just the changing generations. There's so much interaction outside um, in the real world, right? Everything is real time, it's instant, instant gratification, instant numbers everything there's an app for that you know (laughs) whatever the case may be so you have you know my grandparents who wanted at that point in time the trend was they want to come into the banks and talk to someone in person they want a security they wanted someone to explain it to them and then my parents oh i don't have time to come in i want it can i call someone and then you have your phone numbers and you can call someone then my generation comes along and we're like god do we have to sit on the phone can i just get on the computer and chat with someone (laughs) can I get the window to chat? And now I have my sister's generation millennial. They're like, God, I don't even want to do that. Like, can I just go to my app and start it all out in a couple of minutes and go about my life? Um, So it's, it's getting to the point where it's how quickly can you solve a client's issue? How quickly, easily, and when you're talking about some of the financial products or services, how easily can you explain those if you're not doing it in person? Um, so I think my personal opinion is that going forward, it will be definitely a move towards kind of what we saw with our wealth management side is how do we develop mobile access tools that are you know cloud-based, can be accessed anywhere from any device, and that are going to explain complicated terms or terminology in a very simple manner. The, the app has to be very interactive, give them an opportunity to talk to someone or chat with someone if they want, but give a more self-service module. Um, I think, you know, I'm probably one of the more people that, hey, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) I don't want paper. I don't want to talk. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Just get to the point. Um, And how do we get more applications that are able to provide that to customers, I think will be the way of the future. Um, Let me think. What else? Um, I think for the most part, those two, um, you know, I saw something around... um, kind of ATM upgrades as well. So I thought that was an interesting component. Um, and I will say, it, you know, where will that see in the future? You know, how many people still go and withdraw cash at this point? Not many. <laughs> right? uh, especially now that you have the cash app, the Venmos, um, sharing cash um, virtually. So it will be interesting to see where the upgrades to some of the in-person um, tools um, lead us in the future. I will also say that personally, I'm um, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is the security around all these new software technology and applications. We have seen some very large um, and um, very large and dedicated um, corporations or organizations that have been hacked, you know in the past year or two. So I feel technology is moving faster than our security protocols, cybersecurity um, assessments, regardless the hackathon or how they approach it. Um, there's always better bad guys out there. So I think for me, one of the biggest concerns I have, and I think is one of the big things on the generational gap, is that you have um, the younger generation that's able to adapt to the new technology because they want the on-the-go. The older generation may be still a bit attached to the old ways because it brings more security. Um, I'm kind of in the middle, to be quite honest. There are certain tools, like I love my online banking apps and my phone, but then I won't log into it. <laughs> I don't set up anything that allow it to automatically log in because yeah. I still have this inherent um, fear of the security of it right. because of what I've seen. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's interesting, especially on the security side. It is. Yeah. it still it feels like it's you know it's, it's I mean it's the biggest threat we all face on the in, in the digital era. So yeah, there's
1: a lot of new ideas coming. You know, there's new ideas, new apps, but they're not being complemented with how do I protect this new idea. You know, okay, we can do this, but no one goes through the thought process of how do we make sure this is protected. Um, So we, you know, we have guidelines within our company of the tools you can use and how you can download. But um, with even us, we have such, we have a stringent. Um, security protocol within our company, and we even test our own employees on a regular basis um, with phishing emails. So we'll fish our own employees to see who who's not paying attention. And there's nothing like clicking a link and getting a big old "Hey, you failed!" <laughs> <laughs> guess who gets? Uh, guess who gets no new training next week? <laughs> and then after a while, you learn not to click any links. Right. So even the legitimate ones now <laughs> that come across, right. <laughs> it, it's it is um, kind of the internal joke. Where is when a legitimate email does come across, they have to come behind it with, this is a legitimate email. Please click the link, everyone, because now we're afraid to click anything inside. Right. But it is is—it's scary that we can still, you know, impact the entire company with one email, one person, and one link. And that's just still kind of scary to me. You know?
0: Absolutely. So if you had to close your eyes and say, what is the banking... Of the future going to look like, or financial services of the future in, in 2025, which ironically is not that far away. I know it's so <laughs> scary. <laughs> but uh, you know, what, what is? What, it, what are things going to look like in, in your estimation, either from a consumer c- customer experience side or technology-enabled scenario?
1: Yeah, I, I see it a, a, all biometrics kind of security. And, you know, scan the eyeball, the fingerprint, touch. Um, I'm a little worried for the college kid that, you know, passes that out at a college party and <laughs> someone uses their finger on their phone because <laughs> then you have that concern or the parents that are asleep and the, par- and the kid that comes and brings their phone and puts it under their finger. So you have a whole new slew Issues there. Um, but I see um, the security going more um, of the biometrics route. Eh? Um, I definitely would like to see me personally as a consumer um, just, you know, like I said, just easier to use tools. Um, even my online banking apps now, um, they're still limited in some of the things I want to do on the fly. You know, I still have to go and log into my computer. That's a pain. I think if you're going to have it on the app um, to have any access, um, finding way to implement the security provisions to allow me to have full access to all services, the same way I do on a computer. Um, not everyone has a PC at home. You know, not everyone has access to a PC. So I think it's more just even an economic and um, developmental thing where those, um, for maybe more underprivileged classes, to have access to better banking because everyone has a mobile phone.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, that's the basic um, so I would like to see more, you know, walk in, you know, I wake up, you know, my paycheck goes directly to X or maybe even goes directly to all my bills. <laughs> that would be nice if instead of the direct deposit to the bank and to all your bill payments to even see your check just go directly to all all your, um, your uh, utility bills and your rent payments and just to skip a step in the process. Um, I would like to see... Um, more um, analysis on my spending in a way that is a bit more intuitive. So, you know, maybe even, hey, you walk into a restaurant, this is the third time you've been in this restaurant this week. That's right.
0: (laughs) I could use that too.
1: Or you know, your goal this month was to spend no more than twenty percent on clothes and you're now at nineteen. Right, exactly. You know? So um, you know, more interaction um from my tools would be helpful as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: It, it it seems like like that's a particularly strong pain point after the holidays where people yeah. <laughs> right. can spend a lot of money. So yeah. fantastic. So there obviously are a lot of financial services companies in existence. Mm-hmm. How does Northern Trust think differently about serving customers and banking in general than everyone else?
1: So, I'll toe the line and say I'm not going to say how everyone else really thinks about it. Um, I will say that Northern Trust, though, we are a very client-centric company. It is all about the client. Um, you know, we will. Cu- you know, to the point where. You know, internally, we have to keep on top of the products and services we develop to avoid too many customizations for individual clients because we're that type of company. We want to cater to everyone. If, you know, she needs this, we want to develop that. You need this, we want to develop that. And then internally, we'll come together and say, how do we combine all these services and solutions into something that's a bit more standard and customary across the board that everyone can leverage? Or how do we upgrade a particular technology um, to make sure all these new options or services are integrated? So I think for us, um, one of our selling points, our competitive advantage in the industry is our customer focus. Um, be it wealth management, asset managers, asset owners, and underpinning that is our workforce focus. So, like I said, we call our employees partners. Um, it's all about you know making sure our employees are satisfied, they have the tools that they need, they're being listened to. Um, I feel respected at work. Like I said, one of my, um, roles is around diversity and inclusion. And in the financial services industry, that's no small task. (laughs) We're not exactly known, um, broadly for the diversification of workforce, but, um, our company, Northern Trust, we're doing great at it. Um, you know, we were number one in Forbes for diversity and inclusion in North America. So we're proud of that. Yeah. And, you know, just trying to make sure our employees feel, um, respected and welcome and that they put that effort into servicing our clients.
0: in the the 22 years you've been at Northern Trust what's the most important thing you've learned about your role as a leader in creating innovation
1: yeah I will say that um, it's always a human element Right. Um, So when we talk of operations, technology, um, any of what I would call more of the concrete, tangible, black and white items of any company, um, you know, I always say the work isn't hard; it's the people. (laughs) Not to not to say that people are difficult, but it is. Yeah, I'll (laughs) say it for you. They are. It's understanding all the different motivating factors behind um, someone. So when you look at diversity, for example, the diversification of staff different cultural backgrounds upbringings um age groups ethnicities genders everyone has different different perspectives of how they're going to manage at work um different work ethics When you have a global company like ours what's important to the culture in india is not important to the culture in germany or vice versa so you have to adapt to all these different cultures um all the different personalities, all the motivating factors. So right now, with our digital technology, for example, I lead a 30-person working group of senior partners from all these different countries and backgrounds, and we come together every other month to discuss what's important to us as a business collectively. What do we need as far as digital tools or process enhancements? And it is interesting to hear the perspectives of partners in Asia Pacific versus Europe versus North America, um, what's important to them, what they need, and trying to find a middle ground to bring everyone together. So what I've learned around innovation is that, um, A, it is really difficult to, to get people on board to change in innovation. Um, people are inherently can be a bit um, adverse to change. Um, some can be flat out defensive because when you think about it, if you have a group who says, Hey, I've hit my targets for the year or I've exceeded my targets for the year, why are you making me change? And it is a hard sell. <laughs> You You can't tell them, hey, you've exceeded your targets by 25%, but if you change, then you'll exceed them by 35% because that's unfound right now. You can't prove that. Um, So it's explaining to people why they have to change, the benefit it'll bring to them. Um, I typically start off by asking people what they need. You get better buy-in when you find out what someone needs first. Um, I tell people you can't start off with, hey, we're going to implement this and change this and X, Y, Z. You have to start out by listening. You know, What do you need? What will make your day easier? What's your pain point? Um, so even with our own digital technology strategy, that's where I've started off. So yeah, there's a lot of cool, savvy tools out there we should be implementing. But right now we are focused on our top pain points internally. How can I fix these? How can we all come together? Because once we're able to fix the pain points, people are more open to talking about innovation and change. They can see, okay, well, this has happened. We fixed this. Now let's layer this on top of it. This new tool can help enhance that. They're more bought into the process once you've resolved an issue. But it's hard for people to buy into a new change or innovation if they're struggling with something basic in the background that you're ignoring. Um, So you have to listen, you have to address their pain points first, um, get those on track for correction before you can bring in new innovation. And throughout the process, you have to bring them along every step of the way. At no point in time can you have meetings um, without them. So they say, you know, we don't want to build this um, consensus by committee. For example, I disagree. I'm a big fan of bringing as many people together as possible. I want to hear everyone's opinion. <laughs> get it out the get just get it out the way in the beginning. Everyone needs to voice their opinion. Once people are, have voiced their opinion, you have brought it into scope. The next conversation is that much easier. You don't have the well. I didn't get a chance to comment, or I didn't get a chance to join this conversation. You have to. Bring them along every step of the way.
0: I'm I'm hearing kind of transparency and then really listening. I mean, being able to listen to that workforce and, and hear what their pain points are and helping... To solve for some of those get that buy-in
1: Yeah, you have to ask It's just like with our clients You know, we always ask What solution are you trying to solve for? So if a client says Hey, I want this report that does X, Y, Z We say, okay We could build you that But tell us what you're trying to solve right. Because that may not be the best report for you Maybe we have something else better That you don't know um, So same thing internally We say, you know what's your, What are you trying to solve for? What's your problem? And then we work on it there Internally in the business We collaborate with our IT partners um, To see what solutions they suggest by explaining the business case to them um, and making sure everyone's on board with the um, issue at hand. And then I think from an innovation perspective, it's just it's just a smoother sailing after that. Yeah.
0: And if there's a vendor, because you mentioned a couple times kind of the partnership side, if there's a vendor that's interested in working with Northern Trust, mm-hmm. is there is there a, a site that they can go to? or Is there, is there a step process? How do they get... Um, Their foot in the door
1: (laughs) Yeah there's so many Um, So there's a lot of different avenues Um, Obviously we have our supplier um, Program that's based on our website Um, We have a supplier diversity Program Um, there's relationships, you know, I have names that are sent to me by internal partners. Um, I have external people who reach out and want to talk. I think that we're always open to listening, discussing. You never know what's out there. I, I, I can't say anyone at our company would ever just close the door automatically. We're always open to a conversation. Um, how to get your foot in the door is a little bit more difficult (laughs) (laughs) because it's up to the (laughs) vendor. Um, finding out who the right person to reach out to, to have that conversation could take a while. Um, But, you know, in my role, I have um, meetings set up with vendors just to hear their products and services, how they could complement ours, how they could help address some issues we may be having. If they have something that is worthwhile, I will then um, share it with our digital technology working group to ask, you know, a broader set of partners, you know, is this something that you guys think is worthwhile? And we will come together to see how it fits. Um, There's always a review process to compare it to others. Why not? You know, there's the whole cost, scale, quality component that has to be vetted out. Um, but it is a process, and I won't, um, I won't um, be soft and say that it's easy because it's not. Sure. Yeah.
0: And with such a highly regulated industry, it shouldn't. Be, it right? is, it is highly
1: regulated, and our cybersecurity and risk protocols um, are nothing to be laughed at. So a lot of times. Um, I have spoke to vendors and they have approached it from the solution side and I spoke to one vendor and I was so pleased to hear them say I have already talked to your cybersecurity team. We already know your protocols. We know your regulations. We have already we have a great working relationship with them. We know your fi-. I thought, "Oh my god, that just saved me like 6 months of internal <laughs> red tape approval if yeah. you've already bypa- already gotten past that." And it changed the whole conversation. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. So last question and the most important question of the day, what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without?
1: <laughs> I love all apps. Let me just tell you. I think that's the that's the best technology that I've seen come out in the last two years. The app for that was just the best thing ever, right? <laughs> um, to not have to log on or to go anywhere and to just sit on my mobile device and and just you know access anything I need at one time. I'm at the point now if it doesn't have a good app, I just won't even <laughs> go with the service. Um, on my phone, it, you're going to joke and laugh, but
0: it's Starbucks. I'm
1: Starbucks. not going to lie, okay. because
0: that, does that have to do with the spending comment that you made earlier about being in a restaurant or? A-
1: it has to do with the time saving component that I mentioned earlier. Is how do I get as much done as possible as quickly as possible? So especially if you're on LaSalle Street in the Financial District, every Starbucks is like a thirty minute wait. <laughs> So if I'm on my way to work and I can call in, I walk in, I pick it up, and I walk out. And that is just, I like that with, maybe because I'm a foodie, but any app related to food that I can pre-order and grab and go, I'm a big
0: fan. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank um, you. I want to um, just ask if, if there's any other um uh, places that uh, if listeners want to potentially get a hold of you, do you have any social media accounts that worth Yes, sharing? I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Yep,
1: Shailen OT Core. I'm only one out there. Don't worry, my name is pretty unique. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely available on LinkedIn. Most people do reach out to me through that route. Um, yeah, and like I said, I'm always happy to make new connections, learn what's new and savvy in the industry. Sure. It's hard for us to um, sometimes get that information within the corporate walls due to so many different groups and teams and segments. Um, But in this new age, we are looking to find new ways to kind of streamline the communication and the trends so that we stay on top of what's going on.
0: Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.